Welcome to Multiversal Q, your guide to the comic book multiverse, now in podcast form. I'm Luke, and it is yet another one of our episodes of the Marvel Noir Month. This week, we are going to be covering Daredevil Noir, and for this episode, I have brought on a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is James Alvarez, uh, probably most acclaimedly known as professional wrestler Ronnie Rios. I can be found on Twitter at one bad Rios, O-N-E. Uh, yeah, uh, Luke and I go a bit back. Uh, I've known Luke since I was probably about 15 years old. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, I'm, I'm honored you uh, hit me up to be on this show, man. I know you've been doing the comics podcast thing for a while now. I've checked out some of your other shows and I'm glad that I was thought of when you're like, I need nerds to talk to about this. Oh, and I'm also looking for more than just white dudes talking about <laughs> comics. I'm in and, fact uh, not a white dude. I'm just a strange dude. <laughs> I know. But yeah, it, it was crazy because like back when I was like 16 or 17, we do like podcasts as well, or we just like get together and talk about comics and stuff. Yeah, I remember, uh, I don't know if you've ever talked about this on your show before, but we, you, you had this attempt at, uh, which I guess you would call a, a comics collective back in when we were all on DeviantArt and it was called, was Majorca <laughs> or something? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Team Majorca. Yeah, and uh, we did a Majorca podcast a few times, and I just remember the best episode we had was, it was like the week that Tim Buckley had done the infamous uh, abortion story, or miscarriage storyline in Control of Belief, and we were all big Control of Belief fans, so we had like a round table about that, and yeah, no, that was a good episode. (laughs) There's also the time that we had Casey Green on. I know. You know what's so Which weird is, is like the exact opposite. Yes. Yeah, so I was thinking about, man, we talked to some pretty famous people before they were p- famous. Like Casey Green mm-hmm. and then uh, what's his face who did the – he just worked on that new Sonic game, Sonic Mania. Oh, yeah. Tyson Hess. Tyson Hess, dude. I was like, I can't believe I did a podcast with Tyson Hess. <laughs> It is a weird, weird world out there. But I mean, it, it's good to see that people who put in the hours are continuing to work. And also, thank you for putting me on blast for saying that I used to enjoy reading uh, Control-Alt-Delete. Hey, man, uh, it was, for the time, it was good. <laughs> you know, it just, you know, we didn't know. Listen, this is the early days of the internet. You don't know, like, this is before we had terms like, problematic and and uh yeah you know white cisgender and shit like that so like nobody knew tim buckley was an asshole they were just like this comic's funny yeah uh jeremy and i used to do uh or used to read dominic deegan and that guy his art has not changed the last time that i saw it Uh, we we still like live in the same area like i moved back to columbus so wow I was, uh, yeah, I was thinking about it, man. Like, webcomics used to be, I mean, not to go on a weird tangent, but like, webcomics used to be such a bigger part of my life. Like, I was obsessed with them, like, to the point where, like, I had, like, made myself a schedule of, like, when comics updated. So I remembered to check them all. Oh, yeah, I had those too. And now my list is down to, like, 
12 and I can probably get rid of three of them because they're no longer updating. I, I don't even have a list, dude, anymore. Like, I don't even, like, I mean, I still read comics and I'm very big into indie comics. Like, I just spent, I think I just spent like $60 over the last month buying all the uh, Megan Mog comic anthologies. And I read all through those. And uh, so, like, I'm still into them, but like, yeah, like, I stopped reading questionable content. I stopped reading, uh, like, I was thinking about VG Cats the other day. I was like, oh man, I used to love that comic. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like, oh yeah, no, like, that was my first web forum when I was uh, like growing up, like I've still got some friends that I made on there and it got to the point where the people who were on the forum stopped liking the comic. And so uh, Scott Razimir, who uh, makes the comic just got angry and shut it down. Oh, wow. Yeah. It sounds like an internet move. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could wax poetically for hours about that time in my life. Like when I was just a lonely fat kid, just on the internet. <laughs> Uh, i'm just a slightly less fat old man uh lonely outside (laughs) but you get to uh slam people onto mats i do get to do that and that is very much an enjoyable uh activity that's the other thing too is i um you know i have like a weird it's so funny when you when you actually like do something like like when i got into so i'm like i said i'm a professional wrestler and uh just for everybody knows so i'm like somewhat legit um if you were into professional wrestling i was trained by a very notable professional wrestler i was trained by jay lethal here in tampa bay florida uh and i you know i went through this weird traumatic experience when i was like 22 and like i don't know if you ever had this moment in your life but like i had a weird breaking point where like I didn't care about anything anymore. Every like, like reservation I had about life or like, Oh, I don't want to do that. I could get hurt. Or I don't want to do that. That's scary. Or I don't want to do that. I'm not going to make any money doing that. It's like all of that just went away. I had no fear left in me. Like my heart was like so broken by this weird traumatic experience I had. And I was just like, can I curse on this show? Oh yeah. Okay. I was just like, fuck it. And I, and I was just like, I, I just, was like I looked up for schools. I found Jay's school. It was in Clearwater, which is relatively close to where I am. And I said I'm gonna go do it. And I didn't have any aspirations of like oh, I'm gonna get to WWE. I was like I want to have a match. I want to say that I learned this craft and I did it because it's something I've been obsessed with since I was five years old. I just want to do it, and I did it. And it's almost it's going on over three years later since I got finished training, and it is one of the most rewarding things in my life because it's just. You know, there's I, I love this business. I love this art form, and I get to meet a lot of crazy cool people and do a lot of crazy cool things. And it's just like, it's my ultimate outlet. Like I wrestled a match two days after my mom passed away, and it was just like that was the most cathartic feeling I could have. Was just like I'm gonna go play pretend for a little while and just you know get it out of my system. And uh, so yeah, wrestling's awesome. And uh, changed my life. <laughs> I feel like we've just had a better narrative there than we really get out of uh, Daredevil. Oh, Noir. don't even get me started on preteen Evanescence fucking fuckboy Matt Murdock that's in this fucking comic. 
Yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh, get into it so we can tear it apart. So uh, Daredevil Noir was another four-issue miniseries that unearthed 90214, which was written by Alexander Irvine with pencils by Tom Cocker, colors by Daniel Friedman, and letters by Joe Caramanga. And yeah, we do really get just like whiny, shitty Murdoch and like so many of the stories in so many of the choices in this comic well, don't make sense. Like it's all totally actually going to defend yeah, some go of the ahead. choices in this comic because I'm a big stickler for like continuity and character continuity. Like um, I think Kevin Smith said it best when he said that every comic book fan creates their own continuity. So you, you, you mm-hmm. become aware of a character and you're like, I like this character, whatever that first impression you had of that character is. And then you go and you try to find as much material about that character as possible, whether it be comic books, video games, graphic novels, movies, television shows, like whatever it is that is about that character, I want to find it and then take it in. And and then you kind of start, after you've seen a bunch or read a bunch, you kind of start to pick and choose like, well, I didn't like that, but I like this. And then you just start to create. So like Kevin Smith said, like he has his own continuity for Batman. It's like, in my mind, it's, Batman begins, then it goes into like, or he's like, it's like Batman year one. He goes and trains with the, the League of Shadows. He goes into year one, and then it's like, and then it's <laughs> Batman animated series, Justice League, and then uh, Long Halloween. And then after that, that's when you start to taper into Dark Knight Returns. And then after Dark Knight Returns, you get Batman Beyond. And it's like, yeah, that makes total sense. Like, it's like that is Batman. Like, there's a lot of other shit you can pick and choose in there, like Arkham Asylum and and like all kinds of other random shit, like when he fought the like the Predator and shit. <laughs> like, but that's his Batman continuity, and I appreciate that because I feel the same way about a lot of characters. And when I was reading the story, you know, I have a very specific idea of who matt murdoch is in my mind that's one of the reasons i really enjoyed the netflix series Mm -hmm. is because whoever's working on that show regardless of whatever flaws you could point out in the show they really have a grasp on who matt murdoch is he was this overly headstrong overly passionate punch drunk son of a boxer who has had to fight for everything in his life but does it so willingly because he just is just this catholic guilt-ridden passionate like lust-filled like like he like that's the other thing too is like i feel like matt murdoch is painted with such this paintbrush of like he'll just have sex with anybody and i totally and that and that's the thing too is you asked me who i wanted to talk about and i really wanted to talk about matt murdoch because even though i'm not the bl- blind uh son of a of a failed boxer i relate to this character so much <laughs> someone who had to go to catholic school (laughs) and someone who just like always liked girls and was always like seemed to be driven by his attraction to women and so like i get why the character or why the writer i think in the story wanted to key in on that like you can't really have a a, at least not too often there's very few matt murdoch stories you can have that don't involve some kind of female love interest but the way they handled it was so juvenile and so outside of his character like just because yeah he's a yeah dog doesn't mean he's not like still oh he's he's a total idiot in this story yeah. 
just add in two comments. Uh, first, Kevin Smith retconned in Batman Year One that Batman pooped himself. Yeah, that was in Batman, not Cacophony, but the other one, uh, Widening Gyre. Yeah, Widening, Widening Gyre, the one that never got finished, which I'm not going to complain about. And then the other thing was more my issue was the framing device that they oh, use in this yeah, story. No, I wrote that. I wrote that in my notes. Hate this framing device because it makes no sense. There, yeah. there would never be a moment where Daredevil and Kingpin would just start waxing on poetically about how they got to this moment. Well, and even from a storytelling perspective, the whole thing is like Daredevil showing up in Kingpin's office to talk about everything. And not only does it go into like a double layer flashback from there where we see, oh, I enjoy watching people talk about the law and, oh, I got my powers when my dad got shot and the criminal shoved my head against the wall which blinded me and also gave me super blind senses, which it doesn't make sense. But it's like, oh, now we know that Kingpin is behind everything. And like, it's supposed to be a noir mystery. So it, it takes away a big part of that without adding well, anything you know, for, for doing a that. noir mystery, there's not a whole lot of mystery in this book. I mean, there is the one twist in like the third issue. But other than that, it's like, yeah. it's... I mean, yeah. like, like Matt doesn't even do a good job of hiding that he's Daredevil. <laughs> he's like he's everyone knows he's Daredevil. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and there's a whole thing where it's like, oh, when my dad died and I was blind and I decided I'd be fine doing stupid stuff, I became the Daredevil. And he has like the freaking mm-hmm. Daredevil costume then and there. And yeah, there's no reason why people shouldn't know who he is. But yeah. We can quickly go over the story because it's uh, a woman named Eliza comes in because her partner, Bo uh, Orville Holloran, is a bootlegger and presumably wants to kill her or may end up killing her. There's a person named the Bullseye Killer who's out there who never misses a shot because, you know, it's Noir Universe Bullseye. You know, that was the one thing that really, quick side note, one thing that really bothered me reading this text was... They never wrote the word bullseye. They just wrote bulls, apostrophe S, Mm -hmm. I, as in a bullseye. And that just bothered me because I was like, I don't think that's what the term is. And also, like, that, like, I understand this is a period piece, but like, I'm pretty sure they had like target bullseyes in the 1920s. Like, And there was a a really good alternate uh, universe, the Spider-Man 1602, where they end up introducing like a pirate version of Bullseye. And I'm pretty sure they call him just Bullseye. Yeah. So whoever, whoever did the lettering for this like failed third grade grammar or something, because they literally thought the text was bull as in the animal and it's I. Now, I'm going to be putting this on the writer. Bullseye entered into the dictionary in 1833. So, like, almost a hundred years before this story takes place. Yeah, no, but go ahead. I'm going to let you finish your summation, because I do have a couple of things I want to say, positive things about this story, before we just completely destroy it. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because and I'll be posting my more detailed notes on it, but I I like this energy that we've got going. So Wilson Fisk is the other crime lord. 
Uh, Orville Halloran is the main guy who's taking up more and more space. And he ends up passing on the news that uh, Daredevil is Matt Murdock. And Halloran mentions that he killed Jack Murdock, Matt Murdock's dad. So it sets off this entire thing where Daredevil's trying to figure out uh, what's going on here. He's trying to figure out why Halloran is doing all this stuff. Fisk turns in the information that, oh yeah, Halloran killed his dad. And then ultimately it gets down to Matt is obsessed with Eliza because she's mysterious and he can't really read her. And he finally has her vanish and he goes after her. He confronts Halloran and Halloran's like, oh yeah, Eliza was always on my side. And also she's the bullseye killer because, oh, women can also be killers. Feminism's coming at you. And did you also notice when she, so she, uh, she kills O'Halloran. I think she used a spike, but I briefly mm-hmm. thought it was a sigh. I was like, okay, so we're just, we're just like, I don't have enough time to put Electra and Bullseye yeah. in this story. So this just, is going to be the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of an amalgamation. And uh, yeah, so she kills Holleran because she was really working for Kingpin the entire time. And it's a decent. Well, no, they kind of they kind of insinuate she wasn't working for anybody. She's just a psychopath. No, she was working for uh, Kingpin. Like she got close. I I mean, maybe I didn't pick that up in the text. I just I picked it up as she just is a fucking psychopath and just wants to kill people. But I mean, that, that yeah. could just how I read the text. Yeah. Uh, and so Daredevil ends up killing her. And the entire time, Foggy is like, hey, you're being an idiot. You're being an idiot. You're being an idiot. And he's just sad. And then he goes to confront Fisk. And Fisk was like, yeah, I had a hand at everything. Didn't you think it was really dumb how Holloran kept trying to lure you into destroying every one of his organizations? And it's like, I thought he was just an idiot the entire time. And then the comic literally ends with Fisk giving another speech on how he needs Daredevil and Daredevil needs him for balances like the top predators. And then they end with a fight that doesn't even end. And it's like, this this is not good. Yeah, no, I wrote my last note was a cop-out ending. Because it was like, <laughs> whoever wrote this got to the end and was like, I don't know how to end this. And so they created so that he to his credit, he wrote a really good speech for Wilson Fisk. Wilson Fisk's dialogue throughout this whole book is actually pretty good. Um, it's just yeah, it's just like it's like this ultimate existential like I don't know how to end this story, but it has to feel important and it has to feel like an ending. So cosmic ballet and all that jazz, mm-hmm. um, which is in essence true about their characters, but there's there could have been a much more satisfying way to go about it. It was definitely the like the definition of a cop out ending. <laughs> I think having the bullseye killer be just a version of bullseye and also uh, Eliza is really not the best way that they could have done this. Because if you wanted to have it via twist, if you wanted it to be someone messing with Matt Murdock, you should have gone the typhoid Mary route. Well, I mean, I always want Marvel to go the Typhoid Mary route, but they they kind of like are trying to write her out of the canon in a weird way. Because I noticed when they made the Daredevil series and they introduced Elektra, she's just Typhoid Mary. Like her, the way her character is, like the the way they describe her, the way she acts, it's like that's not Elektra, that's Typhoid Mary. 
and except magic, except magic. Yeah, well, I'm just talking about like when they talk about like the bloodlust and like the insatiable hunger for violence and all these like weird things about her. It's like that's not Electra. Like Electra was a violent person in the sense of like yeah, she was a mercenary and she was hot blooded at times, but she didn't enjoy killing people. She just did it because she was kind of this dead inside nihilistic character who just didn't have any value for human life. But that's the important that like, that's like the, the thing that makes her attracted to Matt is that Matt values life so much and that he instills a little bit of that value in her because she cares about him. And because she cares about him, she's always like thinking about her own, like, like nihilism and her own, like, like borderline, like, you know, like, uh, like, uh, what's the, uh, apathetic attitudes towards life. Mm. So that's why that's how I always describe Electra. She's apathetic. Whereas in the show, they make her like, she loves it. Like she's like almost turned on by killing people. Mm. <laughs> well, I think part of it is they can't use typhoid Mary because the, she's a mutant. Oh, that's right. Then they can't. Well, I mean, that, no, they use Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. You just don't call them a mutant. And nobody remembers Typhoid Mary's a mutant. I didn't remember that. One of her code names was literally Mutant Zero. Okay. You know, don't just don't call her that. Like there's there's a million there's yeah. You, you, there's a million ways to get around this. They just know that Electra is more popular, so they're like, we gotta put Electra in the show. Yeah. There, there's solutions, but literally for Quicksilver and Scarlet, which they had to rewrite them so Magneto was no longer their dad uh, again. They were like scientific, exp- and like they weren't born with powers; they were like experimented on. Well, no, no, they, they, they also changed him in the comics, though, where Magneto's not their That's dad. That's fine. I mean, but I'm just saying, like the way they introduce them is like they're they're experiments. They're not like foundlings with yeah. these powers, you know. It's it's weird, but yeah, that's a problem when you end up selling off your characters as if they're but a commodity. I mean, we're going on a bit of a side tangent, but didn't uh, didn't Disney about 20th Century Fox or something? Nope, that is still up in the air, and Comcast is also looking at Ooh, outbidding them. Gonna be rough. I just want, I just want, I just want. My, I just want Wolverine and the fucking Infinity War. That's all I need. <laughs> I, it's not going well, to no, not in time. War, but I mean, I just, yeah. I would yeah. appreciate, um, you know, the X Men are such a. That's the thing too, man. It's just like I, everyone like me, like everyone else. We all love the X Men. They're great. Uh, but yeah, it's just like there's, it's, it's so interesting because. You know, it made sense that X-Men was kind of like a flagship superhero movie that, like, finally got, like... I know, like, Blade came before it and a couple other movies, but, like, Mm -hmm. the superhero renaissance, like, really kind of kicked off with those first X-Men movies. And it made sense because they were just these so universally loved characters and they were all, like, interesting and powerful in their own ways. And it's just so cool where it's, like... Like in like to bring it back to professional wrestling, it's like the X Men were these like Hulk Hogan, like John Cena, like ubiquitous, powerful like characters that like everyone knows, everyone's at least mildly interested in, no matter what they're doing. But the problem for a long time with characters like that is that you don't have people that can play ball with them. And so when John Cena's wrestling a nobody or what 
audiences will perceive to be a nobody, it's like doesn't draw up a lot of interest and it's just like not as fun. Whereas, whereas like what I enjoy now is that they took Iron Man and they took Captain America and they took the fucking Guardians of the Galaxy and made them not on that ubiquitous huge X-Men level, but they're definitely like known now and they're viewed like Captain America is just as relevant as Wolverine Iron Man is just as well relevant as Magneto and so it sucks that like we finally got these characters up to a certain level in the culture and there's no X-Men to play with (laughs) but I'd sort of raise the point that like having your X-Men especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't make a lot of sense because you can't have them all of a sudden be afraid of mutants when you've already got the inhumans who they had to put in as sand in mutants but when like for the parts of that whole cinematic universe that i'd say really care or that like matter quote unquote it's uh it doesn't work cohesively because you either have to put in something that is going to make everybody fear mutants but then not fear like iron man and captain america and all of that and like ha- needing to put in that distinction is like, oh, well, I think it's bad that this guy in the wrestling roster is a demon, but all these other guys who are demons aren't bad enough that everybody needs to stand up against them. Uh, I know there's a lot of demon people in the wrestle world. Um, you know, what's funny is, uh, well, you know, I mean, to me, the easy fix on that would be is that you're literally doing the Infinity War right now. And what's the crux of one of the things about the Infinity War is that you have the ability to alter reality. And this opens up the whole multiverse question of like, are we going to start seeing alternate reality versions of characters? Is this how we're going to bridge X-Men characters? Like, cause this whole time we've been thinking we're in earth 616. We could, the whole Marvel cinematic universe at this point could have been earth 882 or something. Uh, and it's just, it's just a version with no mutants. And I can uh, see a storyline that they try to pitch where it's like after infinity war, there's some kind of event that shifts a couple universes together. And I think what the, what it could be is that like mutants become a thing, like a phenomenon. Cause that's how they were always introduced in the comics. At least is that the reason there's all this mutant hysteria is because mutants are a recent phenomenon and they don't understand them. And they don't understand why so many people have powers now. And I think, so what it becomes is that, you know, they, they talk about, you know, because obviously X-Men are an allegory for racism. And the thing is that I've read a lot is that racism is you being afraid of a tribe that you're not a part of. So it, it's just this bolstered sense of fear because the way humans, at least in tribal times, survived was operating off of stereotypes or preconceived notions in order to, like, protect themselves. And so... It's just a rational fear you've built up in yourself because you don't you you're worried you might get hurt or killed or subjugated in some kind of way. So I think what you could do is you introduce this notion of like, well, I'm not scared of Iron Man because I know Iron Man. I'm not scared of Thor because I know Thor. I've been with Thor. But once every other person you might potentially just walk past has powers and you don't that could create like this anger and this fear in the way that I think like you have like a lot of white Americans 
experiencing like well, black people or women yeah. getting these like high level jobs or high level positions. It's like, well, that means I can't have that. And that makes me scared. <laughs> well, uh, let me interject with a few things. Okay. So the Marvel okay. Cinematic Universe is Earth 199999 within continuity. So, I mean, there's mm-hmm. that, but then like, that's the exact thing that they did yeah. with the Inhumans in the Marvel universe and with like agents of shield and all that stuff. Though, uh, there's also a really good series, uh, coming out right now called, uh, Marvel, uh, dang, what's the, uh, uh, Ed Pisker is doing a X-Men series called X-Men grand design. And so it's trying to turn all of that into a cohesive master narrative. And so like the reason why so many people are afraid is, he brings up the whole thing where uh, the original Human Torch fought Namor and that flooded all of New York City. And so Namor being this loud, outspoken mutant got all these other people to become afraid of mutants. And that's what led to the mutants who were already around, either splitting into we need to survive or we need to uh, take over or we need to survive with ourselves on top. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it hasn't been done. I'm just saying like it's 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 one of those things where it's like it makes it makes sense to me why like why did the Fantastic Four never get shit? It's because people view the Fantastic Four in that universe view the Fantastic Four. Well, they're one of us. They were born human. Just something happened to them. Versus like we don't like these mutants. Like they just it's it's all tribalism. It's just it's just putting them in a box because. You feel like you can't trust them because you don't know them because you're not a part of that, you know. And but that's mm-hmm. that's a whole other big, huge political debate. We have much dumber things to yeah, talk yeah, about, yeah. like this Marvel, this Daredevil noir. <laughs> yeah, it's it is not good. The art is decent. Okay, well, in let me, it. I want to I want to check off just a couple of things I liked. Uh, I actually really love the art. There mm-hmm. were several panels. I, I read the, I tried to find a physical copy of this book because I like to support little shops, but no shops in my area had it. So I did end up. Yeah, it's like, it's yeah, almost yeah. a decade well, I mean, old. you know, some shop, like I, the one shop I go to a lot, they're like known for like, we've got back issues of everything. Like we're, we have a huge collection, but it was like the one thing they didn't have. <laughs> um. So I ended up buying the digital copy. So I'm just sitting at my computer going through the book, like panel by panel. And there was like a lot of really cool panels that I was like, yeah, that's a really cool panel. I would totally have that as like a Facebook header or like I'd post that on my Tumblr or I'd have that as a cell phone lock screen. Like there was some cool artwork in this book. I thought, I thought Matt was drawn really well. I thought Fisk was drawn really well. Um, other characters were kind of missed, but you know, the main iconography was there. Um, the one artistic choice I really mm-hmm. liked, which I feel like isn't done enough in the comics, is they gave Matt red eyes, which I really liked because it just it, it denotes so many different things. One, it explains why he's has that correlation with the devil, because he feels like a devil, because people told him you have red eyes. Uh, two, it denotes how his blindness is different from normal blindness. That was the one thing I was kind of let down by in the sh- TV show when they show Charlie without his glasses or his mask, uh, or sorry, that Charlie's the name of the actor, uh, Matt without his uh, glasses. 
he just kind of looks like a little he's like a little burned and it's just kind of normal same thing with the ben affleck movie it was just like there's just it's, it's just looks like a little hurt just little scars and i like the idea that he has these bright red eyes that really denote like why he has superpowers because it's a totally different thing going on and, and then the, also hold on, let's let's interject him getting his like radar sense just from getting his head smacked against a wall oh, does not dumb. make sense no yeah that yeah. Dumb as shit. yeah no that was dumb as shit I, I'm not like, – trust yeah. me, there's plenty to tear about part about this comic, but I want to mm-hmm. give it its few dues. Okay, um, okay, yeah. Uh, then, yeah, and then I did – and then, I again, I like the eyes just because that explains why he wears red sunglasses because it if he wore other glasses, people might be able to notice his red eyes better. But if he wears red, it's like, oh, he's just – he's just like, you know, he's flashy like that. But it's really to hide mm-hmm. the eyes. Um, yeah, like some of those panels with the glasses are really, really nice. I've got a few of them on the uh, image gallery that will be going up for the episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, what was I going to say? What else I like? So I like the art. I like the eye choice. Um, okay, so I was talking about earlier about I I want to defend the choices of Matt's behavior in this comic. So even though mm-hmm. I I hate how he acted. I wrote so many times, Matt is acting very childish, uh, such a child. What you know, just it just he acts like a 15-year-old boy in this comic. But I think it makes sense because um, and just because it makes sense doesn't mean it was a good choice, but it makes sense. Is that um in the comic he's not a lawyer. Uh he's just an errand boy who works for Foggy. And Foggy's not even a what? Yeah, yeah, they're a uh, detective agency. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Foggy is a PI, but Fist specifically describes uh, Matt as an errand boy. And I thought that made sense because one of the things about Daredevil that I always thought was like, because we're, I'm sure we're going to go into the idea of like, does putting this character in this time period make sense? And one of the things I would have said that wouldn't have made sense had they done just a straight trans like transcription where he's still a lawyer and he's still doing this or that is that i don't think matt could have gotten where he gotten in that early of a time period he would have had to have been growing up in at least the 80s going forward maybe the 70s at earliest because i feel like a kid like that who's blind poor and an orphan has to rely on a lot of social services to get by and those kinds of mm-hmm. infrastructures just pre New Deal, pre Great Depression did not fucking exist. And so yeah. his ass would have just been dumped in a church orphanage and kicked out when he was 18. So it makes sense that he never really got an education and he never really got to mature in that way, uh, which I think explains why he behaves the way he behaves because his dad died young and I don't think he ever, because he didn't go to go to school or really have experiences outside of Hell's Kitchen, he's kind of stuck in that mode. I think he's a man-child in a weird way because he's just stuck in that time period. Well, and like we also see the only other real shot from his childhood is he is the like daredevil as a kid until all the other shows move out to Harlem, which is weird, but sure. Yeah. I think they insinuate that he spent some time with the circus, that he was literally like a daredevil, a trapeze artist Mm -hmm. or something like that. 
and which would have made sense for the time period and for his character. But then I think that explains why he behaves the way he behaves is that he's in a weird way. He's not Matt Murdock in the story, at least not the, our conception of like, because when I think of Matt Murdock, I think of someone who's, yes, he's very passionate and he's very uh, headstrong sometimes. And he can be very violent and he can be very like controlled by his passions. But at the end of the day, he's a very intelligent, very uh, put together, calculating character. You know, he's, he's Batman without, as many like walls up personally because he wants to open up to people and he wants to be engaged in interpersonal relationships with people but he does have that mm-hmm. both figuratively and literally he does have like that premonition about things where he's like he's always calculating and strategic and goes into things with like a lot of cunning both because he of what he does you know as a vigilante and what he does as a lawyer and I think that's really kind of absent from here because this backstory we get from him in this book is he's a blind kid who grew up in an orphanage and he was in the circus. So he acts like a circus goon. I think that's a decent headcanon. Though now there's also the question of because there's only one other circus that has been seen in the Marvel Noir universe, does that mean that he also was in the circus from Spider-Man where Green Goblin and the weird mix of villains from that one came from which it doesn't matter there's no shared continuity between any of these universes or any of these stories i mean you know it's comic books so it has to be connected to something (laughs) yeah it's it is interesting i i did a quick reread of everything Minus Iron Man, which I haven't gotten to reading to. And it is neat how all of these different universes have their different sections of New York that they're set in. Like Daredevil is all about Hell's Kitchen. But then like Spider-Man's about Manhattan. Punisher's about the Bronx. Uh, Wolverine is about Chinatown. So. Mm-hmm. I like how, I mean, again, another little tangent. I like how that's a weird, consistent character trait of Wolverine. That he has like a mild, like fetishization of asian culture <laughs> yeah i'd say xenophile but that's only for uh yeah and, and like he is china spend like all of the 80s in japan or something uh he spent a lot of time over there or like it was like the 70s he spent like the 70s in japan or something like that well he almost got married yeah and then he, he had got like, his butt dumped yeah yeah he had the wife over there and then that's where he had the fights with Silver Samurai and all that jazz. Comics. Comics. Um, but yeah, um, I think, yeah, that's about all the positive things I have to say about this book. It was good art. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like the costume. Like the, the noir version of the costume was interesting. Mm-hmm. It looked like a circus costume, but done up to be more scary. Uh, he did. It's funny though. It's like, in this comic, he actually does a good job of concealing his identity because he doesn't have because he has the normal head mask where it's like it, it has the opening for like the nose and the mouth, but then he has a black a black like uh, I guess you would call like uh, like a late not latex uh, like a like a like like the, a reverse cowl where it's like it goes up like this yeah this material basically just like a skin tight material that goes up his nose around his jawline and his whole neck. So like 
his face is completely covered, which I was like, cool, good job. You concealed your identity. And this is the one book where like he doesn't bother to hide it and everyone knows he's Matt Murdock. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, comics are mm-hmm. comics. But yeah. Well, uh, anything else that you want to touch on before wrapping up? Uh, there was one thing that really bothered me. Um, there's one line of dialogue that really bothered me, and it's it's like in between one of the. I think it's when Fisk meets Matt for the first time in the alley to tell him that O'Halloran is the one who killed his dad. They give um, Fisk mm-hmm. this brief moment of internal dialogue or internal monologue and i just wrote feverish leathers fisk should never have internal dialogue because it just i i don't know if this is just my personal opinion but it's just like wilson fisk is not the guy who thinks i mean he thinks deeply obviously he's a very calculating man but he wouldn't like like the line was like, you know, like good that went just as I planned or something like that. And it was like, Fisk would never say that to himself. He would never have thoughts like that. He is the most supremely confident man in the world who just expects things to operate as he wants them to operate, especially if he's the one that set them in motion. And it's just like, I don't know, like he doesn't have like internal thoughts. If he is thinking something, he's going to say it because he's not. He's not scared of anyone, so he's just going to say what he's thinking to everyone, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can follow what you're saying. Yeah, um, yeah and then this book, like like most books since like post-Dark Knight, has terrible Dark Knight Return Syndrome, where there's every chance we can get to give Matt like this deep, emotional, internal dialogue. It's like so sick of seeing i mean granted i know this book's almost 10 years old so maybe this is washed out by now but it's just like i'm so tired of seeing that in comics like not every character needs to just rant on and on about why they're a superhero like while they're superheroing (laughs) i might defend that a bit as a noir trope the it was a dark night there was crime all around me but there is also crime within me. I'm Matt Murdock. Like that's that's a bit acceptable, but no, I it it is a bit too heavy in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, overall, um, this was an ambitious project. I mean, I have to say, like for a noir's character, Daredevil, I think definitely fits the noir tropes the best. Like the scenes he has with Fisk are scenes you could have in modern times. Like they like that that character relationship works from the twenties to now. Uh, so, I mean, I understand the inclination to make him into a noir character. And I, like I said, I do like some choices they made, but it's one of those things where it's like, I felt like what I read was a first or second draft. And there could have been a lot more done with this character to both, enhance the story and then preserve Matt Murdock's character. Cause like I said, like I understand the changes they made to his character. If they so aggressively changed his backstory because of the time period this took place in, but just because something makes sense 
doesn't mean it's a good it's good like or just because it basically makes sense it's not enough like okay if you are insistent on this making sense but you still have to tell a good story and you still have to preserve the character of matt murdoch okay matt murdoch didn't go to law school but it doesn't mean he should act like a petulant child maybe he matured in a different way or matured in like you know a more street thuggish kind of way instead he's just this like stuttering dick in his hand child for most of the comic <laughs> yep the uh one question that we are asking everybody who's coming on the show this month is what other marvel character would you want to see done as a noir character who wasn't done as well? I, I knew this was a question you're gonna ask me and i thought about it really hard and it's like uh, i mean it's just it's one of those things okay <laughs> This is my little rant about noir. Um, I've never gotten the hype about noir storytelling. Like, don't get me wrong. Some of the stories are compelling. Some of the, and the imagery is great. I just, I've never had that fascination with like, I, it, I, it, to me, it's the same thing as steampunk. It's like, I, I'm not, no, I mean, because <laughs> it it's, it's this fascination with a time period that like most of you, most people don't even really have a realistic understanding of. And so, like, I don't think a story is automatically better because you dropped in a certain time period, though. Well, I'm going to interject here because, I mean, noir isn't just the time period. And I think that's one of the problems that Mm -hmm. affects a lot of these, uh, like, Marvel noir stories where it's they're all in the same, like, 20s, 30s time period, but not all of them understand it i mean steampunk is purely aesthetic there is you can make a steampunk anything by just putting some gears and shit on it but noir and tubes lots of tubes (laughs) yeah yeah just a bunch of pointless stuff that works on the misery of others but i mean noir Mm -hmm. is its own thing about like crime and betrayal and complicated stories and the hard beat down hero which we don't really get yeah, in daredevil at all like there's no point where he's completely defeated and i think part of that's because we know at the end he's going to go and confront the freaking kingpin because that's where the first page starts well, i think that's in a way is part of the problem is that this because this story only had four issues it's you know it, it has to get it has to get in and get out like this is a you know we have to get our story in and out and it has to be everything to all people so because of that um you run into this issue where like i think when people think of daredevil they think of somebody who is very capable of that story because a lot of those ideas are in daredevil but people can think of daredevil that way because daredevil's had the time to you know, he's been around for over 40 years and he's had all these stories and all these issues and all these movies and television. So it's like, that's a long story to tell. And like, I think the problem is like, I think the idea of like, okay, um, next run of comics that we're doing for Daredevil, we're going to go in a noir direction. So if like, if you're just entering the regular Daredevil canon, the Daredevil series that's going month to month, knowing you have like, almost an inf- infinite amount of issues because they're not going to cancel daredevil an almost infinite amount of issues to tell the story you can go in that stylistic direction and be like i'm going to take my time i'm going to tell this deep convoluted heart-wrenching story that makes sense in the daredevil character and the daredevil canon 
But what we're told to do, or at least what the writer and the artist were told to do was you have four issues to reintroduce a new canon, reintroduce a new set of ideas in a new in a different time period, and then tell a compelling story and then wrap it all up in four issues. It's like that's almost an impossible task. Uh yeah. Luke Cage Noir does it, and it does an amazing job at it. I, I will say that much, because that one gets Noir, it's able to introduce Luke Cage, and it's able to use him in an interesting way, and the art is fantastic. Well, I would say, oh yeah, no, I'm not saying it can't be done. I think the, thing, the difference is that, but there's a lot of differences between what you would do I think with Daredevil Noir versus mm-hmm. Luke Cage Noir, because by taking the Luke Cage character and saying, all right, we're going to 1920s, that completely changes the character because now he has a whole new set of issues to deal with by being a black man in 1920s America. And in a way you get, you almost get a new story, I think, because Luke Cage has always been like the seventies freedom fighter and then he has yeah. evolved since then. And then again, and now he's evolved, yeah. And then he's evolved into like this, like kind of funny, almost like, uh, like you know, like especially with like now with the new canon of him with the hoodie and like the kind of the Black Lives Matter imagery. Like his character has evolved into a lot of different things. But you get in by taking his character and dumping him in a different time period, you get a whole new set of rules. And I think it's ubiquitously understood that he will have a new kind of direction versus like. Daredevil, like I said, like Daredevil just felt like they had a they had a box, they had a checklist, and it was like, all right, well, we gotta have Kingpin, we gotta have Electra, we gotta have Bullseye. Oh wait, we can't do Bullseye and Electra. Let's just put them together. We gotta have Foggy, we gotta have this, we gotta have that. We have to have a lot of gangsters because Daredevil fights gangsters. We gotta retell his backstory. Dad's gotta die. You know, it was like there was just this like preconceived notions of like, well, if you're doing Daredevil, it has to be these things because Daredevil will always be these things no matter what. Whereas I think Luke Cage is much more amenable of a character. So you can just drop him in a new scenario and be like, well, this is going to be interesting. Let's have fun. Uh, But I think a lot of that comes down to what the writer thought he needed to do for a Daredevil story where it does feel bound to these ideas instead of like doing what Luke Cage did or doing what Spider-Man did and finding different ways to make them work. Cause I mean, like we've both said, this could be a modern day daredevil story. There's nothing really different beyond the investigator as opposed to lawyer thing and the talk of bootlegging and that sort of thing. So, I mean, yeah, I think it, bound itself a bit too tightly by trying to be a daredevil story instead of being a noir piece and then just wrapping noir as an aesthetic as opposed to using the genre yeah i think this story would have benefited a lot from trying not trying so hard to reimagine the daredevil canon as opposed to just saying you know i mean and it's weird because this is going to contradict something I said before, which is like, well, Daredevil couldn't have been a lawyer because blah, 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 blah. But honestly, like he could have just said, all right, it's 1920s. Daredevil is a blind lawyer fighting crime in, in New York City and uh, go. You know, it's like and just have, you know, it, it maybe it would have come off a little hacky or something. But like, I don't know if you're a good writer and you're telling good stories like 
you can just drop that character in the 1920s. And I think enough people have disbelief to be like, because I'm not going to call out like, oh, Daredevil couldn't have been a lawyer because of blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's a blind dude who can see. If you can go with, yeah, if you can go with that. You, you tell the story that you want. I, I think you could have done... I think it should have gone further away and it's like, oh, hey, maybe he was trying to stop some, maybe he was a police officer in this universe who was trying to stop some bootleggers. He got knocked in, the booze got lit a fire. That's how he got blinded. He wears the red costume to cover himself up because he got burnt. That's why he's so sensitive and everything. And that's where he's going. And it's more of a pulpy horror Avenger. But no, that's actually moving too far into pulp as opposed to noir. But yeah, uh, we got to wrap this one up. So, James, where can people find you online? What are you doing? And if people want to hear more about what you got to say, where can they do that? Uh, well, I don't do a podcast or anything. But like I said, I am professional wrestler Ronnie Rios. You can find me at one, the word one, bad Rios, R-I-O-S, on Twitter. If you want to follow my tag team, it's pretty much what I'm doing on the professional wrestling market right now. It's called the Coda, uh, like the musical term. You can find us at We Are the Coda, C O D A, on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty much where you can find me. You know, I don't have any other creative things going on right now. This is just it. Uh, and Luke, I just want to thank you for having me on. I know I blabber on a lot about and I go off on <laughs> weird tangents, but. Uh, I had a good time and I hope you did too. Yeah, I definitely had a good time. It's good to get some other voices and opinions on here. Uh, Multiversal Q is a weekly podcast. You can find my normal podcast co-host, uh, Devin, who is at Fred Ophet, F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T on Twitter. Uh, I am at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G on Twitter. And I'm also at Luke L-E-K-E-H-E-R-R.com, a site that I have not gone to or updated in probably over a year at this point. Uh, Multiversal Q is a weekly podcast. We are Patreon supported, where for as little as $1 a month, you get a lot of bonus stuff. We had a movie episode go up uh, last week where Devin and I talked about the Oscars. Uh, you also get early episodes of the other role-playing game podcasts that we do exiled, as well as a lot of other benefits. And if you ever want to suggest a comic for us to cover on that, uh, you are more than welcome to messaging us on Twitter or multiversalq at gmail.com. Also going up today, we have Wolverine Noir. And then coming up on Wednesday, we have Daryl Ayo, who's going to be covering Luke Cage Noir with us. So that is a great way to spend your Valentine's Day. I think that wraps us up for this week. James, thank you again for coming on. Can I just say I hate Joe Casada and I blame him for everything bad in Marvel? Yeah. There's worse takes out there. <laughs> well, I hate Joe Casada and I blame him for everything bad in Marvel. <laughs> Pretty sure that <laughs> another watch, so I blame him. I believe it did. Well, until then, well, well, and until next time, this one's for Hank. <laughs>